Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to the Believe Podcast Network, SoCal Sweat. My name is Ann McDaniels, a former NFL cheerleader and product manager turned actress and model who dreams of being a UFC fighter. Yow. Learning strategies to help motivate others leads me to bring you interviews each week from a range of athletes, experts in fitness and nutrition, and so much more. Thanks for listening to Believe, the number one podcast for working professionals. And let's push our endorphins to higher performance through SoCal Sweat. This is your host, Amy Daniels, and thank you so much for joining me on another episode of Believe SoCal Sweat. Since it's Halloween week, I want to highlight a special doctor, a special kind of doctor, a doctor of physical therapy, meaning a doctor of PT. Therefore, that could stand for a doctor of pain and torture. Doctor of pain and torture. <laughs> well, in all seriousness, so many people suffer from chronic pain. And my guest today is Dr. Mitchell Yass, who really bucked the system. He went through medical school, finished PT school, but really realized that there are other methods to your typical physical therapy. After working for the New York Islanders as a physical therapy doctor, he developed many skills and then went off on his own. Dr. Yass not only brings a different type of perspective to healing patients and relieving their pain, but he does it with such passion and humor love and I've never met anyone so dedicated to helping people almost to the point where he is like Elon Musk where it haunts him at night because he can't cure everybody. So I cannot wait to introduce to you Dr. Mitchell Yass, doctor of pain and torture, but cures that pain and torture. He's Dr. Feelgood. Hello. Hello there. How are you today? Uh, good. How are you? Good. Are you Dr. Mitch, Dr. Mitchell or Dr. Yass? Um, well, technically, it could be Dr. Yas on a more familiar level, Mitch. So whatever you want. Perfect. You've got to be from the Upper East Coast, Boston or New York or Philly. Hardcore New York. Yeah, that's what I thought. Woodboro, I was in Manhattan. This is the city. (laughs) It's so funny. So I'm actually from Long Island, but I have the most extreme Brooklyn accent, and I don't know why. It's just the way I talk. That's so funny. But my, one of my best friends is from Long Island, Queens, or, uh, or uh, Great Neck, Long Island, and she sounds like you as oh, well. Oh, there you go. Yep, exactly. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Very yeah. cool. You're already in good company. So you take your pizza flat, you take a thin crust, and how do you take your coffee? <laughs> is, is, it, is, it light, is it light and sweet? Do you take the coffee light and sweet, or what do you do? What do you do? There you go. That's it. <laughs> That's oh, funny. I love it. But but for me, it's kind of for me because I'm really trying to promote a message and stuff. I don't know. I, I find people actually find it um, not so much like I'm in their face, but there's a certain passion that comes with that sound. I think if I had a southern accent, I really don't think I would come across as passionately. So not at all. And there's something about New Yorkers like it's it's it comes from that, um, you know, curb your enthusiasm. Larry David, he's yeah, yeah. very passionate <laughs> about the things that he thinks. So no, I would trust a New Yorker right. over anybody else. You don't bullshit. You know, you don't. There's no time for it. Anyway, <laughs> so thank you so much for joining me today. I was so happy when you reached out to me. Just chronic pain is everywhere, as, as we know, and you see it, and you have 28 years of experience, thousands of cases. And if you could please introduce yourself um, and just tell us just really briefly where you went to school and just the little steps, the big steps you took to be where you are today. 
also um, Mitchell Yas, Dr. Mitchell Yas, because I have a doctorate in physical therapy. Um, I originally went to physical therapy school, Downstate Medical Center in Brooklyn. Um, and then, <laughs> and then um, actually years later, uh, I completed it in 2010. I got my doctorate from New York um, Institute of Technology. Um, to basically understand my life is to understand that um, I was given an, a, a, a way of thinking, um, a real strong sense of logical analysis from a child. Uh, my father taught me that. And so going forward, I just decided that every bit of information that comes into my life has to come through the logical lens. So I know people like to say they, they would love things to be in shades of gray. When it comes to what's real and what's not, it's I hate to say it, but it's black and white. If it's logical, good. Not logical, no good. No except. So... I went back to school at 30 years old, which is different from many people. It was a second career. And so um, I had a lot of life experience and I had this ability to think in a certain way. And so they're teaching us stuff about how to diagnose. And I'm noticing that some of the things they're saying doesn't really fit logically. And so the initial stage is where you're just taking classes. It's kind of easy, right? You're not really treating anybody. You're just learning. Oh, because medical school is so easy. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess I get a little bit lucky because, again, sure. I was given this gift from my parents. And so, actually, for me, I was given, actually, in that respect, the ability to see in three dimensions. Um, I've done portraits of people, and I've never taken a lesson. This is another very weird aspect. Right of my brain, brain, left brain. Yeah, very good. Right. So when I see you, I literally, like if we're talking about your rib cage or your muscle or something, I see it. I can actually, and that gives me an advantage. So, um, so now I finally get to the point where I'm going to treat people, and and people have to understand that. It's, it's all fun, and, and it seems like this is going to be exciting, and you're in school, and then all of a sudden, someone's standing in front of you, and they're writhing in pain and telling you how they can't function, and especially it's like a mother who can't hold their kid, or the husband who can't work, and you're like, okay, this feels like a lot of pressure now, and so everybody goes through school, and they simply just stop doing what they're instructed to do, and there was something very weird about me. And I thought the most obvious question when the person telling me about their pain was to say, where's your pain? It seemed like the most obvious thing. And when they would point to their pain, it was not where it should be based on the diagnosis provided through an MRI. They literally had pain where it shouldn't be if, in fact, the structural variation were to cause pain. Now, that's a problem. If you're being taught to treat the structural variation found on the MRI, and I found myself in this horrible, horrible position. I happened to be working for the guy who was the therapist for the New York Islanders. It's a very successful office, and I'm literally fresh out of school. And they're coming in through the door, meniscal tear, rotator cuff tear, pinched nerve, and I'm like, I don't understand. I'm pressing on the guy's hamstring, and he's jumping out of his out of his out of his head. It's a hamstring, and I muscle test, and, and yet I'm being told, treat a meniscus, whatever that means. And I'm like, what do you do? Do you treat based on what you were taught, or do you treat based on what the person in front of you is presenting? And I'm a guy who's very moral and ethical, and I'm, I went into this just to make people be out of pain. So I'm like, I'm going to try to figure out what the cause of their pain is. 
and I had a background with weightlifting. I had kind of taken, a, again, a weird thing, took a high school physics course and applied physics to weightlifting, like understanding forces and, and, and fulcrums and, and all this potential energy, kinetic physics laws to learn how to weightlift. And I ended up putting on 40 pounds of muscle over a four-year span. That happened just before this. So you start to think maybe my life was a progression. Sure. So, so you got hot so I'm, you got hot and smart during that time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So um, I just decided I'm going to, no one's really paying attention to what I'm doing anyway, because it's a very busy office. So I'm like, I'm just going to do what I think. And I'm treating people for muscular deficits. And I'm talking like a treatment, two treatments. They're pain-free. So when you said- and nobody, yeah. did, did you get- almost cocky but you said you stayed in your lane did you ever argue against the surgeon or the or the um director the doctor of pt or did you just like you said you just shut up and kind of stayed humble you have to shut up because i'm literally just a student i'm less than a year i'm i'm a month i'm a day out of school and the guy who's referring is the owner's college roommate who's the orthopedist so that's the sick that's the path it's from the orthopedist into the office to get treatment based on the diagnosis from the mri you think that a guy who's out two weeks is gonna say anything that i'm gonna lose my job i'm gonna i'm gonna literally start and get fired instantly so i came up with a plan and to me it was the most logical plan don't say anything about a diagnosis sure did you ever want to scream like no this is wrong this is what i see or are you just kind of like dude you have to understand if you're a really moral person yeah. this is painful there are people I am seeing who are getting surgery. Surgery because some other therapist tried to do something based on that diagnosis and it wasn't going to work because it was wrong. And then I get them after the surgery. And I then figure out what the cause of the pain is. And by the time I'm done, they're pain free. Knowing they got a surgery they never needed. This is happening in my first month. And so... I'm having a tremendous moral issue here. It's horrible. Do I try to protect the person or do I try to protect my job? And the path I went on was simply don't say anything about a diagnosis and just say, here, I'm going to do this treatment for you. We're going to see if you get out of pain. As long as you get out of pain, isn't that really what you want? And that was the way I did it. I really would basically say nothing about, is that really what's going uh, You know, does it really matter? Let's just try to get you out of pain. And that was how I got through my first year and a half. Year and a half later, after I graduate, I open my own facility. Amazing. Now it's all open. Now I get to do whatever I want. Freedom. And you know it. And the beautiful part, I seem to be so good about this, at what I do, that I don't need referrals from orthopedists. I don't need it. People are contacting me because they've heard about this diagnostician guy. And I'm just saying, go to your primary care physician and get a a prescription for back pain, neck pain. You don't need a technical thing. Get any prescription. Go to a friend. That I don't give a shit where you get your di where you get your prescription from. Just get it. I'll do the diagnostics. I'll tell you if it's muscular, which it is in 98% of the cases, and I'll get you out of pain. And to understand just how big this was, my first month of my my practice, I made nothing. My second month, $1,100. My third month in practice, literally starting from scratch, I made $14,000. Wow. And you were still and pretty fresh. And it blew up. Blew up. The word began to ha happen about a guy 
who didn't need diagnostic tests to tell you whether you need surgery or not. And it just exploded from there, and books came, and PBS specials came, and 28 years later, this is where I am. Oh, that's incredible. Now, really quickly, when you said that you, like, hockey player came in with a torn meniscus, and you treated the hamstring, and like you said, it's muscular. Everything's connected, the bone, the muscle, the cartilage. So when you worked on the hamstring, he would jolt. But if you touch the actual meniscus, and for our listeners, the meniscus is, of course, in the knee, how did you... Uh, did, did he realize it? Did you explain the process to him that this, the nerve endings go through here? How did you do that? So the, the gig is, you're hitting on exactly the point. What is the theoretical basis of the Yash method? Is that every tissue creates a certain set of symptoms. And to understand what tissue is creating that symptoms, you need to interpret the symptoms. That's the only way to know what it is. So if a meniscus was to cause pain, it would create pain at the joint line. Well, I'd press, I'd say, and without really saying it, I'd say, just tell me if this hurts. And I'd press on their joint line. They wouldn't have any pain. Then I'd go to the insertion of the hamstring, and I'd say, how about this? Is this hurt? they jump. And so identifying that, then I'd do a flexibility test, and they'd be tight. I'd muscle test the hamstring, and it would show up weak. I'd touch in the hamstring in itself, and I'd find the belly has massive numbers of knots. So I would just leave it there. I'm not going to go on and give a whole soliloquy on, I hate to tell you, but that meniscal tear isn't causing your pain and therefore you don't need surgery. I mean, I'm going to lose my job. So I'm going to, I just said, well, based on what I found, I'm going to just try to do this treatment and let's see if your pain goes away. And the reality was once I massaged out the muscle, stretched it and did the appropriate strengthening, the person got up and they were able to walk where they couldn't just 20 minutes before. That's incredible. So, now, did you get actual training in the massage therapy for that? Or is it because you, your artist brain, the right, the right brain can actually see it? Can you actually see, feel the heat, all these things? Okay. So in terms of, uh, of actual education, you take a one, I, I think it's even a semester, not even a couple of classes on massage. What happened was this is again, this is, so my method is based on theories. My theories would develop based on empirical treatment. I'm treating and I'm doing things. So here's an example. Let's say you're having pain in your front thigh muscle and it's very painful. It's impeding you from doing something. So what would I do? I would massage the muscle. When I massage the muscle, I could feel that thickening there that most people would pull or not. And I could feel it would melt away. And then I would instantly sense that if I pressed in that spot, there was no pain, flexibility increased, and strength increased. Well, if you're talking about that, maybe there was a torn muscle and somehow you, you're changing. Well, how do you account for that? You can't. There's no such thing. So I had to make up a theory. All right, this is where it gets a little wacky, but it's going to make 100% sense. Here we go. If, in fact, a muscle does not have enough force for the activities they're trying to perform a person, it is going to, the body is going to recognize that because every muscle is connected by a tendon and in the tendon is a spring called the Golgi tendon apparatus. It measures force output of a muscle. In joint capsules of your, of your joints, there are sensors, mechanoreceptors that tell you how much force gravity is pushing down on you. So you actually have an ability to measure how much force is being pushed down on you and how much force your muscles are being pushed up against that force. If it turns out that the amount of force push being pushed down on you is greater, the body thinks you're going to tear the muscle. And it doesn't want you to tear the muscle. 
So what it's going to do is it's going to convert the fluid in the muscle called sarcoplasm, which acts as a lubricant, to Elmer's glue. By converting it to Elmer's glue, it's binding the fiber together. Why you feel a knot. It's bound together. So why why is that not painful? Well, if you bind fiber together, muscle fiber has pain receptors that run along them. So if I congest the muscle fiber, I'm, I'm concentrating pain receptors. If the muscle is bunched up, it loses flexibility. If the muscle is bunched up, it can't create its optimal force, so it's weak. So what you notice is that straining is the body's attempt to prevent against tearing. That's why you strain and you find the knot. So what happens when I get to the knot? I break up the thickening, the fluid that kind of thickens, which then allows the muscle to go back to its more optimal length. So it's deconcentrated pain receptors, so less pain, greater flexibility, and greater strength. But that so, sarcoplasm also kind of lend out lactic acid, or is that a completely different thing? Completely different okay. thing. So it just is that Elmer's glue that you are trying to dissolve, basically, so that your muscles allow that. Makes total sense. Is this why right. also that um, after my broken, when I shattered my femur, my dad, who's a coach, constantly tells me to get in that hot tub. And I do feel better after that hot tub. And then I shock it in the swimming pool. And it does feel better. Right. So if you were to put heat into a muscle, what it's going to do is it's going to cause the muscle to become more distensible. Muscle has a certain contractile force, even at rest. Anyone who thinks that the muscles aren't contracting when they're resting, they don't understand. There's always contractile force. It's called resting tone. So if you were to put heat on a muscle, it causes it to become more distensible, more ability to lengthen. Remember, pain receptors run along the length of the muscle fiber. So if the muscle fiber is this long and it's painful and you put heat on it and allow it to come to here, you just deconcentrated the pain receptors. So, of course, it's not going to feel as painful. What's the problem with that in terms of a long-term solution? What caused the muscle to strain? Its force output was less than the force requirement of activity based on the fact that you live in a gravitational environment, so the body strains the muscle, causes it to knot up, to bunch up, to prevent it against tearing. You only have one opportunity, one ability to stop the cycle. You gotta increase the force output of your muscle. How do you do that? Progressive resistance strength training. Yes, I agree. I agree. And I atrophied so bad when I broke my leg and arm. And everyone's like, you're too yes. skinny, you're too skinny. This is I know this is why I was in pain. But and I lost yes. muscle. But I knew I kept telling my mom, this is because I'm not running, I'm not doing jump squats. I can only do certain things. And I love that you did say resting tone because no matter what I did, I would read articles about how even if you lift with your right arm, you are still developing your left arm. So I did everything in my power to maintain muscle mass. I mean, squeezing my glutes because even any resting muscle will help the other. I am already eliminating so much pain because I'm in the pool constantly. Also, what my question is to what if you have metal apparatus, like, for example, I'll just tell you a quick story, but I mean, it just, I've got metal in my femur and metal in the knee, also in my arm. Arm's great, except when I lift too hard. The metal in the knee, I believe is too large and it does not allow me, and believe me, I push and I push through pain and I lift and do resistance training all the time. When I walk up and down a set of stairs, I cannot, I don't know if it's psychosomatic, but I am not able to put all my weight on it and it gets weak. So I'm trying, I practice stairs every single day, but it just feels, it it shoots pain through there. 
And I know there's, there is nerve damage, but I don't want to allow that to get to me because of what your teachings are. Right. So first off, if we're talking, let's say we're talking about the knee and let's say you fractured your femur and maybe you have some pins and screws or, okay. So pins and screws that has nothing to do with your joint. And to be honest with you, you, you can't feel the, the plates and pins. They're going into bone and bone has no pain receptors. Even in the knee because it's sticking out and it clicks all the time and it can feel the metal. let's talk about that yeah. separately. So if there's a fracture in the length of the femur, that's not the joint. Oh, no, I don't the feel that. Joint. It's the knee. Right. Oh, the knee. Okay. Yeah, only the knee. So, so, so it, it can't possibly have anything to do with the metal. The reason you're having pain in your knee joint is not the, it's not, it is rubbing inappropriately, but it's not due to some altered structure. What desert, what determines the position of the femur in relationship to the tibia? What determines that position? What? It's the muscles that's around the joint. It's the muscles that's around the joint. So if you don't have 100% congruency, 100% of the femur touching 100% of the tibia, you think that's an accident? It's arbitrary? Something's wrong. It was designed to be that way. Now, if you don't have 100% of the, the surface area absorbing 100% of the force, and 80% is, well, was 80% designed to take 100% of the force? Of course not. So it's rubbing inappropriately, and it's going to elicit pain. On the muscle. That's so the, on the muscle. It's going to elicit pain in the joint. But the reason is because you're not sustaining alignment of the joint surfaces because of a weakness or an imbalance. You're experiencing pain in a joint due to a muscular deficit. So would that be for movement exercises, more practice of movement and mobility? It's, a, it's an understanding where the muscular deficit is. Movement isn't going to change it. Movement simply makes you use the joint more. But if there's the misalignment of the joint surfaces, you got to correct that. So let's say, for instance, your quad is absurdly strong compared to your hamstring. It's going to pull. It's going to cause most likely the tibia will be translated more intimately because the quad attaches through the kneecap to the, the lower leg bone, your tibia. Well, if that was to pull excessively, it's going to start shifting this way. And the femur on the back, you have to understand, anything other than 100% of surface area to take 100% of force is going to lead to abnormal rubbing. I don't know how anyone could see it any other way. You don't have a choice. 100% of surface area is evolutionarily designed to take 100% of force. Right. If you have any variation, you're going to be causing pain and some kind of eventual deterioration. Which don't you think that's so why you, it's it's tough to have such small ankles and such small knees for the weight of our bodies, like the way we're designed? That's why there's so many knee tears and ankle injuries, do you believe? Um, It would be very hard for me to say that evolution could be wrong. <laughs> so I don't necessarily think I could say that. I would say, I'll tell you what I think the answer is, and this goes down to adolescence. I think people fully enjoy doing activity and even if they get into a competitive level and they're working with the greatest greatest coaches who understand technique they don't understand what it is to sustain muscle strength and balance to maintain the optimal position of your joint surfaces so that they can work optimally you got to know someone who knows that and that's not in the curriculum of right. athletic trainer right. or trainer or or any of that stuff that's that's a, you know how many, the American College of Pediatrics um, years ago has now said that children over the age of eight should be performing, not push-ups and sit-ups, 
weightlifting, squats, bench pressing, and all this stuff at a level of 50% of their maximum effort because of the fact that so many of them are suddenly now doing these activities and they're not conditioned to do so. Plus, they're doing it during puberty when their bones are elongating, stretching out their muscles, never allowing the muscle to sustain the force re- output for the force requirements of their activity. Absolutely. Even even older adults, we, we suggest resistance training over cardio because it's so important. And so, but just quick question back to that knee issue. Uh, do you think that, because my surgeon wants to, I want to take off the knee, the metal in the knee, as does he. Do you think that's necessary? Or do you think I will be able to push through this pain and be pain-free? Because I just don't, it, it is rubbing against that tendon and those ligaments. I know it. So it's too big. Are you saying, are you saying the metal is rubbing? Then I, I believe the, the metal and the femur, I don't feel at all, obviously, since we discussed right. that. It's just, it, right. they, had to jam, they had to jam three huge screws into the kneecap because it was an emergency surgery. I would have died. Um, was, oh, so you have you have screws in your kneecap. Yeah, this is what I'm talking about. That's the one where it's causing oh, okay. pain. I don't feel okay. the pain in the arm or the, there's metal through the femur and through the arm. Don't feel that. It's in the knee because there's three of them. So you're feeling pain around your kneecap is what you're telling me. And it looks like, I feel like Joe Pesci hits me with baseball bats on both sides of the knee every day. Yeah. So here's the question. What if you sit down? What if you lay down? Does it go away? No, nothing goes away. Nothing goes away. Do you always have, you have that pain 24 hours um, a day, seven days a week? I I push through when I get up in the the morning and at night, I feel like an 80 year old. I push through it all day. I, I don't want to take painkillers, but I do Advil and Tylenol and I swim. I can't do squats yet. I, do, I can do deadlifts right. with very low weight and that's all. Right. Yep. Has someone, has someone evaluated your quad strength, your hamstring Everything. strength, your glute meat strength? Yep. I went to PT uh, for about, I had like 24 sessions of PT. I'm very strong. Yeah. It's just, it's, and yeah. I do so much on my own. I mean, I, I'm in PT for myself like 24 seven, right. even when I'm at my desk. With all, the, with all the highest level of respect to PT and stuff like that, you're gonna have to show me where weightlifting is a part of a curriculum in the doctorate program of physical therapy. There, there's not a weightlifting part of the curriculum. So, I, I mean, I use bands. Anyway, every, everyone does. Yeah, I, I, I don't got a problem with that. I don't care how the mechanism created, but you best know how to isolate, and you better understand very high levels of kinetics, kinematics, how how muscles create force, how joints are moved the joint surfaces are moved in a way to allow force to be created optimally honest i i honestly am not aware of this being a part we, we of did a, we did and i have a doctor there was mobility and the, there were there was absolute mobility and absolute structure there really was so it's just on my own i really hit the weights hard even in the beginning no matter what i could do but um yeah. with that when you when you describe the kids i was very interested in that alone do you see with our rising obesity cases in the united states do you see more problems with chronic pain due to the fact that our bodies are not meant to carry this much weight? Do you see a lot of your patients coming in with that? All right. So here's the concept, and this people often ask me about this weight situation and obesity. So I am 220 pounds, six foot. If you went to a BMI uh, issue, I am obese. Right. I am greatly obese with a 34-inch waist. Right. That's right. So this is about muscle. So it's not weight per se, it's where is the weight presenting? So if the weight is in front of the plumb line of the shoulder, the shoulder, the hip, the ear, the, the ear, the shoulder, the hip, and the knee and the ankle, if it's eccentrically loaded because someone has a gut, okay, let's, what's the difference between someone who's obese with a big stomach and a pregnant woman? 
everything uh, different. She doesn't. She right. She doesn't have to have that terrible stereotype put against her. But the course is exactly the same. It's an eccentric load. Mm -hmm. So if there's an eccentric load in front of you, I don't. I, to be very honest with you, I don't even give a shit if you keep the weight, don't keep the weight. Strengthen the crap out of your glute max and your hamstrings, and you're gonna create such a level of hip extension that you'll support that load and you won't have back pain. Do I think being obese is healthy? Of course not. But stop telling people obesity is why they're having back pain. It doesn't go like that. It doesn't work like that. It's there's an eccentric load, and if you want to resolve the eccentric load, which is a force, fix the eccentric load by creating an opposing back force to that. If it's pulling you forward, create the muscles that pull you back, and then you could be without pain and be obese. Sure. Okay. But you don't think it's like... And I, by the way, I'm not, I'm not endorsing obesity. Right. I'm just saying I want to call a spade a spade. That's all. Get the New York pizza at Ray's and John's. Uh, <laughs> that, that was an Australian accent. Let's just forget that one. But do you, do you think that... Um, but it could also be due to lack of mobility. Sometimes we see... I mean, I'm not saying that overweight people are not in shape because many of them are. And many people that are huge fitness people are really not that in, that in great shape because there could be low BMI to the point where it's dangerous. However, do you right. think that they are potentially maybe less mobile and that would create more issues? Oh, okay. So, so here's, here's my, I'm going to give you a completely altered view of obesity. Everybody's looking at watching me in the dive. Blah, 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 blah. Let's let, what's that, what's that stuff that's there that everyone's talking about? Fat, fat, it's fat. What is fat? Stored energy, stored energy. Why is your body storing energy? What are the two primary sources of energy? You need carbohydrates, which break down to glucose for anaerobic activity, and okay. then you have fat for aerobic activity. What is the biggest aspect of aerobic activity that we exist in? It's metabolism. It's right now, you're sitting there, you're not doing anything, your heart has to pump, your lungs have to create oxygen, your cardiovascular, your cardiovascular system shifting all around, your gastrointestinal system's making glucose and all that stuff, your immune system. So right now, you have a certain level of energy that's required, right? Everyone has to agree with that. Well, what if you're just a fairly lethargic person and you don't do a lot? And as a result, you just end up with a very limited amount of muscle mass in you. So you're a 300-pound person, but when I peel away all that fat and I get inside of you, I see you only have the muscle mass of a 120-pound person. Why would it be so surprising that you're storing fat, even if you eat a slight amount? You've got nothing to burn the fat. You've got nothing to burn the fat. What, what are you trying to keep alive? 120 pounds of a person muscle? That's nothing. Make your and, and people always talk, you gotta be active, you gotta be, it ain't about being active, it's about having more tissue to keep alive. What, can I give you more kidney? Can I give you more liver? Can I give you no, more spleen? No. What can I give you of it? I can guarantee you, muscle. I put on 60 pounds of muscle, I went from 160 pounds to 220 pounds. Muscle, a pound of muscle burns 30 to 50 calories per day. So if you get 10 pounds on you without doing a single extra calorie of activity, you're burning 300 to 500 calories a day more. In a week, 2,100 to 3,500 calories. How much is a pound of fat? 3,500 calories. Put 10 pounds of muscle on you. You could sit on the couch all you want or do whatever you want, but as long as you've got that extra muscle mass on you, you're burning a pound of fat a week. That's 50 pounds in a year. Absolutely. And this is why so many trainers have obese patients or subjects on weights. Sure. Yep. Oh, God. That, they, I, I don't remember the year, 
but the American College of Physicians, or what's the, John, not John Hopkins, what's them? There's some major university that sets policy for exercise and guidelines. And at one point, they straight out said, the only way to sustain the resting metabolic rate is weightlifting. Forget cardiovascular. It's only weightlifting is the only mechanism of exercise that sustains the resting metabolic rate. And it's quite simple, because I don't care if you swim, I don't care if you go on a bike. It's lovely, don't get me wrong, great for your mind, all that stuff. You ain't sustaining muscle mass. The only way to sustain muscle mass is to cause the muscle to adapt to set resistance. There's a linear relationship between strength and mass. Increase your strength 10%, increase your mass 10%. That's the way the body works. Exactly. And that's why I lifted the whole time. And then when I wasn't like applying a bunch of weight, like even, even when I was doing jump squats, the quads went down and I atrophied. Now I can get them up again. No, I think that's brilliant. Um, how do you, it's, I, I like the, the fact that you're straight, a straight shooter. When people come in and they sit there and complain and whine and they go on and on about their symptoms, how do you squash that? Because sometimes you probably see people that just want to be heard or they want to be, they want to get some kind of a pill. Well, I need Percocet. I need, I need this. How do, or, or you realize that it's from an alcoholic addiction and that's what they are perpetuating. Cause I feel like so many people suffer chronic pain and I'm not taking anything away from them because I have pain also, but I'm also tough with myself. So are you psychosomatic or can you get through this? How do you, do you see that right away? Okay. So I'm going to throw out another bombshell. So there is this pre prepos preposition that all that emotion you're referring to, anxiety, hopelessness, frustration, maybe even suicidal thoughts, are associated with pain, and it's from the pain. That is easily disputable. Can somebody, any medical person, show me the neurological connection between pain receptors and the emotional aspect of the brain? Please show it to me. Show me that connection. Pain receptors where pain is created and experienced to the emotional aspect of the brain. Show me. Because I would imagine that if I got a paper cut and that was true, I'd end up in a fetal position wanting my mommy. And that doesn't happen, right? If I stub my toe, I'd be asking to be assigned to a, a mental institution. It doesn't work like that. Here's the answer. The answer is you get pain. Pain doesn't cause emotional distress. What causes emotional distress is not fixing your freaking pain. It's the fact you're going to 20,000 people and time is going on and you've developed an expectation in your brain or an anticipation that, well, at least in a month from now, I'm not gonna be out of pain or in six months, I'm not gonna be out of pain. And guess what? You're still in pain. How do you think that feels to you? You start saying to yourself, oh my God, is this my life? Is this what I'm gonna be? And now you're starting to form formulate Shit, man, I don't know how long I can live hopeless. like this much, you know, and that's hopeless. And then you reach the bad place. And the bad place is when you say, I'm telling you right now, if it's a choice between killing myself and living another day like this, I'll choose killing myself. And I have treated hundreds. You want to know who I've treated? I've treated hundreds of people who walked into my office and said to me, I'm telling you right now, you are my last resort. I've done it all. I found you, you're different, this is it. I'm putting a bullet in my head tomorrow if you don't end this. I'm telling you right now, this is it, I'm done. You know what that does to me? You know what that makes me feel like? All of a sudden, it's like someone just put cold water over my head. I am shocked into a sense of sober that is stunning. You now know someone's hand, someone's lives are in your hand, and you better figure out what the hell this is. 
And I don't give a shit if you have to stay up 24 hours a day for the next three days studying, figuring out what the hell it is. You better figure this out because I don't want that person's blood on my hands. Yeah. That has happened to me hundreds of times. And the reality is I never missed. <gasps> Every one of those times I ended because I know for sure that in more than 98% of the cases, it is muscular. The reason they got there, because they couldn't find a goddamn other person on this planet to let them know it was muscular. They were misdiagnosed. Chronic pain is from misdiagnosis. If it was not, if, if the way the system worked was you had pain, which happens at the inception of the stress of the tissue, the pain begins when it's not functioning properly to create awareness. That's when pain begins. And you then went to a proper diagnostician to tell you what tissue that was, and you resolved the distress of that tissue. When should pain end? Always in the acute phase. Always. If you, if, it, if you know it always begins at an inception of distress, and you get the proper diagnosis at that point, you should be ending that pain right away. So why doesn't it end right away? Why is there chronic pain? Because the one that they picked from the MRI isn't the tissue in distress. It's just some structural abnormality that happened to be in the general area where the tissue in distress, the muscle, is creating your pain. Does that distress of that muscle show up on an x-ray or MRI? No, no, never, never. So it stays hidden. And so you get the, the epidural nerve blocks, you can get the surgeries, you can get the pain, you get everything you want. And guess what? You keep trying to function, your muscles are still straining, and it continues to elicit the emergency distress signals of pain, and you stay in pain. Until one day, you finally find someone like me who is in the ability to look at you as a whole, who has the ability to interpret your symptoms and be able to tell whether through those symptoms it's a bone, a muscle, or a nerve, and then tells you, oh my God, it's muscles. Let's do a little massage, a little strengthening, and guess what? In two to three days, they're pain-free. So 99.9% .9 of the time, it is muscle, you would say. Over 98%, somewhere between 98 and 99% okay. of the time, it's muscle. If it's not, isn't it like, especially when you have you know, a, a patient that's ready to kill themselves and you feel that responsibility. Isn't it like a needle in a haystack sometimes? Like cases that are just like, like almost that house MD show where it's like impossible cases. Do you stay up for 72 yeah. hours figuring this out? Well, so, so sometimes the symptoms are clearly obvious, but sometimes they're very diffuse. And that's because it's been so sustained that now there's been multiple compensations. And, and so I have to kind of, and I'll explain, you, you got to see this as peeling back an onion. You might be having a certain symptom, but that's only because this other thing that really started this whole thing, that was your original symptom, which you told me about you had a year ago, was really the cause of this. So I can't really treat this that you're feeling now. I really got to treat that thing. And, you, and, and, and so this is massive detective work. As, as, quite simply, I'm just a very good detective of the body. I really can interpret symptoms. And I could tell you, you could simply go something like, I have pain like this, or I have pain like this, or I have pain. Every one of those things you just swiped, it's something different. You don't know that. I better know that. Sure. So every move you make, every if you, you should be like this, and I, you come in and you're like this, that matters. You come in like this, that matters. You come in like this, that matters. You come in like this, that matters. I know what norm is. I know three dimension. I can see it. I can paint portraits. I know what things should be. In under two seconds, three seconds, I could immediately know that something isn't where it should be. 
and I can then figure out exactly what it is. Amazing. And in most cases, it's from muscle. It's a muscular sure. deficit creating the symptoms. The physics and the art, like you have plus medical degree. Do you see a lot of like, like sclerosis of the back, the, the horn neck from us going over on ourselves? Sure, of course, lots of it. How about if I told you I treated a 20 year old girl that said that she feels like she has a bobblehead. I, I believe she that 100%. She can't the weight of a freaking head, yep. she's 20. You know why? Yeah, yeah. This is me every day. I go to college and I don't even use books anymore. All the courses are on my laptop. So this is me. 12 hours a day, 12 hours a day, 12 hours a day. You're inciting the weight of your head to be in front of the spine. It's supposed to be supported by the spine. Once you put it in front, that's a load. That's a load. The weight of your head, it's a load. Loads have to be picked up. It's not magic. Next. Something in the back of your body has to pick that up. So the muscles strain and you end up with neck pain, migraine headaches, and all this other stuff. The horn in the back of the neck. And the head is 13 pounds, correct? 10 pounds? Yeah. 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 yeah something like that. I think it's 10 pounds. Yeah. yeah. And that's or a lot 13, in the back. The brain. Amazing. Yeah. Um, and as far as that goes, just another question. I have a massage therapist friend who said, I don't mean to get back to the obesity, but because it's a big issue in the yeah. country. She said that when she massages an athletic person versus a, someone that's overweight, it actually incites pain when she massages. Is that because of what you described as the muscle is in front or in back of some of the tissue? Uh, she said that when she massages a muscular person versus an obese person, yes. it's more painful. Yeah, well, you have, you have subcutaneous fat. That's where the majority of fat is. So if this is the muscle and there's fat here and I'm trying to push here, I got to push through the fat to get to the muscle. So she might find that it's more difficult. She's going to have to push really hard oh. to get down through the adipose fat to the muscle. Okay. So she's probably not doing that. So she doesn't incite pain without the fat. Here's the skin. Here's the muscle. She just begins to push down. She's going right into the muscle. Got it. Because tell me about what she said. She said it's closer. The nerve endings are closer to the top of the fat versus the muscle. And that causes them more pain. Or maybe that's just kind of a... Um, no, no, I mean, it, 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 if, if the pain is coming from the muscle, you have to press on the muscle into the muscle to incite the pain where the knot is, right? Yeah. So there's skin, there's fat and muscle. And so if there's fat there, she just maybe doesn't sure. press hard enough to get down. And that's why she doesn't incite pain. I treated people who were 400 pounds. Yeah. I can make a, I can make a person, I can, I can make a green beret cry. <laughs> I can make any, I. So can I, I Dr. Yeah, so can I. <laughs> I'm sure, you, I'm sure. <laughs> but, but you have to recognize that if there is fat there, whatever, sure. you're gonna have to push through it to get, and, and I've had people who I had to press a piriformis muscle, which is in the butt. So think about how much fat is there. Yeah. I get to it. That's a, you gotta understand what you're looking at. That can be a good thing to look at, actually, um, depending on what way you see it. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so just uh, what was I gonna say on on this end of it? Um, shoot, I lost my train of thought. Um, but as far as do you ever do you ever rec oh this is what I wanted to ask you. Are you familiar with the teaching of Dr. Sarno, where it's kind of psychosomatic yes. in the head? Do you utilize some yes. of that, and do you believe that as well? Because when, you, when we talked, I was very interested in what you were saying about the muscular, because I had kind of taken what your teachings of that, I'm like, it makes complete sense. When you sent that email, I 1,000% agree with you. And then I'm thinking of it, about the teachings of Dr. Sarno, where it actually is psychosomatic, or is, not, is it not psychosomatic? It's just kind of in the head. Although, so yeah. Here's the difference between, and I, I, I only, like, looked it up page or two pages Me too. Of one of his Me books because I just want to know that. So what he's saying, and if I got this correctly, he is saying the pain you're experiencing is not physical. There, and I remember seeing this said, any attempt to treat it physically will not resolve the pain. He's saying that it's psychological. It's from some suppressed thought. 
that when you were 10 years old, and I just want you to understand, let's say you're having pain in your right knee. And he's saying, well, when you were 10 years old, your mommy didn't give you a lollipop. And somehow now you've decided that's upsetting you and it's presenting itself in your right knee. That's the theoretical basis. So now you're ready for this. Here's, this is logic. I'm teaching you logic. So the pain in the right knee is the suppression of the not getting the lollipop when you attend in the right knee. So my question to you is, so what about your left knee? Are you saying that knee actually is saying, no, good. No, I, I'm okay with the fact she didn't give me the lollipop. Is that what you're saying? My knees have decided how they should react to the emotional response so that the one decides it's bad and has pain and the other doesn't. My knees have the ability to think back to an event when I was a child and make a conscious decision on how to react to that. Who, who, who thinks that makes sense? I don't, I don't even know what it means. So you can't tell me that one place is where I'm experiencing pain when I, from, a, from an emotional response when the rest of my body isn't responding. Sure. That's not, what does it mean? Just you must understand, I am a logician. I bring the points up logically. Please explain to me what the if there's an alternative viewpoint and I'm happy to walk away. I'm just pointing out logical things that seem to differ from what people are saying. Sure. That's it. You, you're kind of an Elon Musk to me. It's got to be. It's got to be a little bit haunting in the head because you're so logical. And I, I love Dr. Phil. I love his. He's you know a psychotherapist and then he's a profiler yeah. as well. Your your level of logic, which I love. There's so many talents you could do, like be a mediator, be a judge, a lawyer. Yeah. Isn't that difficult for you when you see logic everywhere? Like how, how non-ideological people are, and how ridiculous things have been getting in the woke environment of our of our nation or our world. Is it tough for you just to calm down in your head? Because like, this is not logical. This is not logical. To com yeah. completely honest, I went crazy. I actually had a basic breakdown from this stuff. And about two, three years ago, I reached an enlightened state. I actually had become, when you have enough suicidal people come to you, when you believe that you've been given something that nobody else has, you start to think there's some sort of divine intervention and that you're being used as a conduit. Well, if you think that, then that's the most important thing in life and everything else becomes secondary. Well, if you're a husband and you're a father, well, that's just not as important. Well, that's basically going to ruin that stuff. And eventually I had to go and get a divorce and I lost a decade with my daughter and I suddenly came to this realization, something's wrong with me. I can't live my life like this anymore. And what basically happened was I found enlightenment, which was to say, I am an individual. I am an individual. I might be a conduit, but it's a conduit to an understanding of ideas. I am not the ideas. I'm just a guy. And so when asked to utilize the information, the information is the information. I am utilizing it. When I'm not utilizing it, I'm just a guy. I'm a guy who's trying to be happy and live a simple life and enjoy life and understand what love is. And that's what happened to me. So yes, I was insane and I was angry. And part of the problem was I eventually was able to understand the difference between righteousness and, and wisdom. Righteousness was knowing I know what I'm saying is true. I have clinical, uh, theoretical and scientific evidence. Every uh, historical presentation, you name it, this is right. And so you get really pissed off when you know 130 million Americans are suffering chronic pain and you start to think you suck at what you do because if you were good at it, those people wouldn't be in pain. That's righteousness. Wisdom is finally coming to the realization of knowing that 
Only those who are willing to seek this information will benefit from it. It's not my fault. Can't do it I all. have to forgive myself. Yep. And that's what changed two years ago. It's a beautiful and attitude, so now, though, You know, a beautiful thing it, going it's, in. It saved my life. Yeah. It saved my life. And so now, I do the best I can. You talk about these people come in with attitudes and stuff like that. I try my hardest. I use logic. I use empathy. Most people who experience a se session with me are like, I've never experienced anything. It is almost religious, and, and I do believe there is almost a religious component. I look at the individual from the physical standpoint, intellectual standpoint, spiritual standpoint, emotional standpoint. I'll be asking about their questions regarding those things. How do you feel about this? How does it make you feel? How is it when you're with your spouse? How is it when you're with your kid? I want to understand because I'm guaranteeing you, I need to diffuse. I need to diffuse the connection of the emotion, the spirit, and the intellect. I need to diffuse that from the physical pain so they recognize that once they resolve the pain, that other stuff is not gonna be there. That's the key. So all of those are part of my treatment session. That's amazing. Um, your work tone sounds fantastic and I will put all the, all the websites on and everything else. How can we support you? And how can, how can people will find you going to your website? I'll put all of that in the notes section. And what is your social media so we can always find you and support you? So, um, Facebook is the Yas Method. Instagram is live underscore without underscore pain. Um, YouTube is Dr. Mitchell Yas. Um, LinkedIn, I'm not really sure. I think it might be. Um, or I found you. Yas I found method, you. I'll put that on Mitchell, there. Yeah. But basically, that's it. And the to me, the whole essence of my YouTube channel, it's pure information. It's, it's, it's very specific things about particular um, diagnoses. Uh, theoretical basis is about what pain is, emotional connection to it. I really talk about all these different things. And and I hope that people get the chance to see this stuff. To The person has the, the big, this is the jump that everyone has to make. You're in chronic pain for a reason. You have to know that to be true. It's not arbitrary and it is not your fault, no matter what someone tries to convince you of. So you have to say, I'm going to these people and yet I'm not getting better. What can I take from this? And the very, very, very hard thing you must understand is that the person doesn't know what they don't know. You must understand this is a fact. Sure. They're using their education. They're using their training exactly as they're supposed to. Just as I was educated and trained, I can tell you now it was never going to work. I was given this gift of a higher power to step beyond it and say, I need to go on a path that's different. And it got me to where I know. If you're not getting better, if you're getting treatment and you're not getting better, you must, as hard as it is, you might love the person, you might think they're great and honest and caring, you must finally come to the realization they probably just don't know what they don't know and therefore you're still having that symptom because they're not identifying the tissue creating the symptom or if they did, the, the stress would be ended and you wouldn't have the symptom. And I, I know this is hard. I know what I ask people is really, really hard. I know that I'm saying, oh, come to this singular guy when you've gone for 15 opinions from 15 orthopedists and 15 neurologists. Ask yourself, has that process helped you? Has it helped you? If it hasn't helped you, please try to be honest with yourself and say, why, why, why do you think it's not? 
If you just go back to the core principles, pain is an indication of a tissue in distress. You need to identify the tissue to resolve the stress of the symptoms of the distress of the tissue, thereby ending the need of the tissue to elicit the symptoms. You have to get that right tissue. If 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 that had happened, why are you still in pain? It hasn't happened. You're being misdiagnosed. And I understand you it's global and it's a billion people. We're one out of every seven people in the world. So I got that. What is that saying? It's systemic. It's systemic. There's something innate in the system that's not working. And it's a fee-for-service basis. That's the big financial aspect of this. So you have pain in your back. You get a five-level back fusion, 350000 bucks, right? After it, you're in worse pain now, much worse. You, you want to kill yourself. Does that guy get paid? Damn right he gets paid. So what's the incentive to get you better? There's no connection of payment to outcome. A guy like me, God forbid, I have to be honest with you, you're not leaving your first session with me unless there's a major reduction in symptoms. We're not getting off there. It's not going to happen. I can't in good conscience allow that to happen. And I'm talking massive. I'm talking massive change like, holy shit, I've never felt that kind of improvement. That's commitment to an outcome. And I am fully engaged in that process until you were pain-free and fully functional. And like you said- This is a team effort. And like you said, you didn't even get paid the first month, 1100 the next month, and then 14,000 the next month because you oh, saw yeah, it grow. Yeah. That's amazing. It's, inc it's incredible. And what is that Yiddish word where it's, where it's like, it's a gift from God that that is your, that is your God-given right. That's what you, that, what's what you have to do in life. It's almost like Patty- I think it's Bashir. 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 That's yeah. what it is. Because Patty Steger <laughs> talks about that. Her Bashir is to get people married. And I love, I love that. <laughs> the millionaire matchmaker. You're Bashir. Is this gift, and I'm 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 so Absolutely. grateful for you, and grateful for this. Even just talking to you, I can't wait to get to that gym and change things up a little bit, knowing what I know. So, um, Lachaim, I'm so happy. Thank, Thank you. you so much for that. My pleasure. Well, it was an honor to have you on today, Doctor Doctor Mitchell Yas, Doctor Mitch, Doctor Mitchell, the man who was skinny, <laughs> then became a god with his muscularity. <laughs> The physics, the right brain, left brain, and the doctorate, but he bucked the doctorate system. He became a rebel, and he's a successful doctor on chronic pain. So I will put all your notes in the section, and you will be going up next Wednesday. And I'm very, very happy to have had you on today. Thank you so much for reaching out. It was great. I appreciate it. Thank you, Anne. Absolutely. Really appreciate it. Thank you. And that was Dr. Mitchell Yas, doctor of physical therapy, with his own methods that truly cure. He does it in a very creative way, matching physics, science, and art, and can truly see the patient. I will put all this great information in the podcast notes, and he would love to help anybody that suffers from chronic pain or anything that ails you. We appreciate you for listening, and please rate and subscribe to the show on iTunes. You can also listen on Spotify, Stitcher, Luminary, LinkedIn, or at Bleed.com. You can always reach out to me for any questions or topics you would like covered on the show at Anne McDaniels or at Anne McDaniels Actress. And I will see you next time. I believe SoCal Sweat. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.